Hi, you're listening to the Perform, Prevent, Recover podcast, where we aim to bring you the latest evidence and research to enable you to perform at your best, prevent injury and recover well. The Perform, Prevent, Recover podcast is brought to you by Southern Suburbs Physiotherapy Centre. I'm Anthony Lance, physiotherapist, co-founder of SSPC and your host for today. Thanks for tuning in to episode 9 and today's episode is a guest athlete edition. I'm really excited to be able to bring you one of Australia's best ultra distance runners and try and delve into her mind to find out what drives her and how she copes with some of the most brutal marathons in the world. If you're enjoying our podcast, please don't forget to hit the follow button on our home site. But for now, let's get stuck into episode 9. This is a guest that I've been looking forward to interviewing for a long time and her list of achievements is really quite incredible, including being the winner of the world's toughest foot race, the Badwater 135. And today it gives me great pleasure and excitement to welcome one of Australia's best ultra-distance runners, Nikki Wind. Welcome to the Perform, Prevent, Recover podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now we'll go in depth into the Badwater event soon as that's the event that really fascinates me but we'd better give a a little bit of background on your career first and go through a few of your results. Um, Now when I looked up all your results um, and listed them down it would have taken me 15 minutes to go through everything. Your career achievements are really astounding. Um, and I actually find this quite incredible that to to narrow the list down to short enough, I had to really limit it to um, all your events that were around about 200 kilometres or more and, and leave the rest of them out. So um, just to briefly go through your main career highlights, we'll start at 2011 where you were announced the 2011 Australian Female Ultra Runner of the Year. And at that time, it seems you like you were mainly doing 50-kilometer races, and in 2012, that progressed to uh, double that. So a lot of 100-kilometer races, including the GOW 100-kilometer, the TAN 100-kilometer, you came first. Australian 100-kilometer championship, you came second. Uh, North Face 100 and Oxfam 100. Um, And then it seems from 2012 into 2013, you stepped it up again and started doing some ultra-ultras. So that that included the Adelaide 24-hour race, where it's about 160Ks, Glasshouse 100 miles, Great North Walk 176Ks, and the Coast of Cozzy, which is arguably Australia's toughest ultra marathon, through to 2014, um, Coburg 24 track, uh, sorry, 24-hour track race, where you came third with 208 kilometres. Uh, then the Bad Water, so the ultimate Bad Water, 217 kilometres or 135 miles, where you were tenth. And you also managed to fit in another Coast to Cozzy, 240 k's that year. 2015, uh, you were first in the National 24-Hour Track Championships with 221 kilometres. You went back to Badwater and you won it um, and got a 40-plus age record and you got yet another Coast to Cozzy 240 kilometres in. Uh, that led in 2016 and an event we'll hopefully talk about a little bit later uh, where you uh, ran an Australian and all-comers record in a 48-hour track championship in Australia with 343 kilometres. Um, you then went back to Badwater again um, and completed it for the third time. And then in the same year, you also managed to win the Asian Oceania 24-hour championship in Taipei with 209 kilometres, so a massive year that year. Um, 2017, uh, the main long one was the uh, World 24-hour Championship in Ireland. And then 2018, you did the Surf Coast Century 100K and the Coburg 24-hour track race with 203 kilometres. And then 2019 into Australian representation in LB France where you ran 180 kilometres in the 24-hour championship um, and you also managed to come first in the Canberra 48-hour track race with 300 and 
18 kilometres, so a, a massive year again. Um, now, keeping in mind, I've left out quite a few of your other fantastic achievements um, from your ultra list. Uh, you must be pretty proud of yourself. Uh, yeah, it's actually pretty funny, like listening back to all the races, because probably now with time, I don't tend to race as much. Um, and, you know, I tend to probably just pick a couple of races during the year that I focus on. So, yeah, when I look back, I go, God, I don't know how I um, how I did it all. Um, but I think, you know, usually at the start, you're sort of so motivated and it's like you just can't keep doing enough races. Yes, well, that's something I want to talk about is how you actually found the time to fit everything in amongst everything else you do but we'll touch on that later but let's go back to the beginning and it did seem in 2011 you were doing nearly all 50 kilometer races and then 2012 you stepped it up to being really all 100 kilometer races um, and then your significant ultrasound started from 2013 onwards so what drove you to go further and further from 50s to 100s to 200s? And in the end, you were doing over 300. So what, what was the driving factor behind all of that? Um, I think probably like anything, you know, I started off, I used to run a marathon. Um, I did my first marathon probably when I was in my mid-20s. And it was one of those things, I might do a marathon once a year and that was sort of it. And then... Um, I have sort of been heavily involved. I used to play like competitive tennis when I was younger and basketball. So I sort of grew up in a very sporty orientated family and I okay. joined, the, joined the gym when I was 12 and it was actually through my gym that um, I met some a group of guys that wanted to do Oxfam and because they'd seen me out, you know, going for a run here and there, they just sort of said to me, are you keen on putting an Oxfam team together? So right. that was probably, I did Oxfam in 2010 and we sort of from there just, yeah, I think, you know, we did a couple of races as training for Oxfam and then, you know, you'd do 50K and you sort of go, oh, yeah, this is good. And what I enjoyed about the ultras was, probably a lot less stressful than doing like trying to hit like a fast marathon that, yeah, you know, okay. and I, I liked, you know, you can walk, you can eat, you can talk and it just, you know, it was just a lot less sort of stressful. And, and then I think just like anything, you know, I cover, you know, you do a few 50 Ks and it's like, well, what's next? What can I actually do to challenge myself? And, you know, then from there, the hundred Ks, they become like you're doing 50 Ks and then, you know, it becomes milers. And yeah, right. so it was always sort of just looking for the next, for me, it was always a personal, you know, how far can I push myself? Um, you know, how far can I go? Uh, you know, so it was always for me about a personal challenge and just, I suppose, seeing how far I could push my body. Yeah, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll come to the end about whether you've, you've found your limit yet or you're going <laughs> to do more. But... This is a question that has always fascinated me. And when you look back, do you think you were born with a gift to run ultras and it just took you a little while to work that out? Or do you think that you, when you found running, that you were able to train yourself to get to the levels that you are? So I suppose the question that does fascinate me is, are you born to be great or can you train yourself to be great? Like. It, it's actually a really good question. I was actually out running with a um, one of my fellow Aussie 24-hour teammates last Sunday and we actually had the same, sort of similar conversation. And okay. for me growing up, like I go, yes, I was competitive at tennis. Yes, I was sort of competitive at basketball. I never really ran. And, and the true story is I would get my mum to write notes so I didn't have to go to cross country when I was at high school because I just... Okay didn't like it, it you know I didn't enjoy it and and I think too um for me and whether it's my work so whether I'm at work or whatever I'm doing I like to put 110 percent in so it, it just sort of became like I suppose a challenge and I'm always you know I like to train hard I like to if I'm going to do something like I wouldn't do a race if I thought I can't put in 110 percent so you know, if it meant getting up at 4am to get a running, then I was prepared to do all that. And then I think once you start seeing the rewards, you then, it, it sort of becomes easy and it's just so much easier to keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. 
as well as I think over time, you know, I've added in things like strength training, Pilates, hot yoga. So it's not just the running like it. And, you know, dietitian, like it becomes so much more than just about the running. Yes. So did you have a point, again, looking back on that history, did you come to a point where you thought, gee, I'm good at this and I can keep going? Like, was there a moment where you really felt, wow, I've found my lot in life and I need to push this? <laughs> oh, it's so funny because, like, honestly, I mean, I know, like, people who know me, like, I, I honestly don't go, oh, like, I'm this fantastic, great runner. Like, I don't see yeah. myself like this. and. And most of my friends aren't runners. And, you know, like I, my girlfriends and I sit around having a champagne, sometimes numerous times during the week. And, you know, <laughs> I even have like a bit of a tradition with one girlfriend. It, it, before every race, she always comes over and we have a drink together. And um, I suppose I don't see myself like that. I, you know, for me, it's been the personal trying to push myself as hard as I can. And, you know, I've got the guys from the gym who, you know, started it. Like, we, we laugh sometimes. They're like, oh, my God, like, can you believe you've done this and that? Yeah. And, and sometimes I can't, you know, and, I, uh, and sometimes I, I honestly don't think, oh, I'm that great runner sort of. Like, I just don't think like that. Look, let's get on to bad water, which is obviously the reason here. But before I start asking you questions, I, I think we need to put some perspective around bad water for those that don't quite realise um, exactly what it entails. Um, so bad water basically covers 135 miles or 217 kilometres from Death Valley to Mount Whitney in California. Um, it's titled the world's toughest foot race um, and it really is um, the most demanding and extreme running race offered anywhere on the planet. So the start lines at Badwater Basin in Death Valley uh, which marks the lowest elevation point in North America at 85 metres below sea level and by the time you finish just more than two and a half thousand metres above sea level at Whitney Portal which is the highest point in the US and the Badwater 135 course covers three mountain ranges. So over the course, you have a cumulative vertical ascent of almost four and a half kilometres. But you've also got a cumulative descent of just under two kilometres. So a lot of up and down. And the terrain isn't difficult only because of this up and down, but, but it's also the fact that you're... You're running on bitumen roads and through a desert and, and with the heat. And, and to give people more perspective around the map, when you look at Death Valley to Mount Whitney on a map, it's about 80 miles. Whereas the race route that these competitors take is more than 135 miles. So it just goes to show you how, how up and down and around and about it is. And just to make it even more extreme, they schedule this race annually in mid-July when the weather conditions are at their most extreme and it's not uncommon for the temperatures to be well into the 50 degrees Celsius level. And when I look back to uh, one example in 2018 and they changed the start time from morning to evening by this stage, so a 9.30pm start time and the temperature was still 48 degrees and that's obviously long after the sun's gone down. Now most of us here in Australia pass out when it gets to 40 degrees and we've got the air conditioner on but, but you're running 135 miles in these conditions which, which makes the event even more amazing. Um, but look, what got me first interested in Badwater was actually your husband, Dave Eady, who's well known on the ultra circuit, and he did the event um, a few years before you, and, and I remember going to a charity event that he had and watching some of the footage and just thinking, gosh, these guys are just totally mad. So that brings me to my first question is, did you get inspiration from seeing Dave do Badwater, or was it always something on your list that you were expiring to? I think because, you know, I've done most of the really big ultras in Australia and once again, it's sort of like, well, okay, what's next? You know, like I've done all these races pretty much every, you know, every state in Australia I'd been to. I'd done all the big milers. I'd done Coast to Cozzy. So it was sort of, oh, what can we do next? And, you know, probably him talking about it and he'd been there and he really probably encouraged me, you know, throw your hat in the ring, have a crack. You know, they only take 100 people. You might never even get picked to do it. So it was always let's just sort of see what happens. So 
I had to do 300 milers within a calendar year. So I did those, sent off my resume and then, yep. yeah, I got in. So, um, yeah, and then that sort of from there, it was just, you know, full-on training and planning and, um, yeah, just to get there sort of in the best shape possible. Yeah, sure, because, I mean, I think that's another thing with it. It's not like a, a race that you can just... Um, register for or go in a lottery the the qualification itself is is pretty tough so you you mentioned the 300 milers in the end does that go on not only the 300 milers but time like the quickest getting because um, i presume there's many more applicants than yeah so how they do it is like basically like i think it, took, it takes, takes you a couple of hours so there's basically like a questionnaire that you submit to the bad water and there's like a committee and you know you have to submit all your race results uh questions you know like what does bad water mean to you okay. why do you want to be here um you know like more than just a hey i want to do the race it's actually explaining you know what, what made you want to come and do bad water and you know what are you going to bring and even questions like you know what do your um running peers how would they you know describe you as a person like it was pretty actually full on and, okay um yeah you had to put a lot of time and effort into it and I, my understanding is they actually like they get thousands of people applying obviously they go through okay you've ticked the, got the three races and then they grade you so they basically give you a number from one to a hundred and if you're in that sort of hundred then you make the start line yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. Um, and what, um, like, four? I think it's four years after your last bad water. When, when the term bad water one three five is mentioned to you these days, what, what, what's the emotion that comes to mind? Have you tried to forget about it? Do you? Does it put no. fear into you? you... Uh, I'd love. I'd so love to go back. Um, that is probably the first thing. I really love the opportunity to go back and it just brings such a smile to my face because I go, it's probably something I never, ever in my wildest dreams would ever have thought. First of all, I would have got there and done it and to win it. And they're actually, you know, they talk when you're there about the Badwater family and I think just the friendships and the people I met that I'm still in touch with today. Yeah um yeah like it's just it's such an amazing race like i just you know it, it is life-changing okay so is there a chance you'll go back for number well four? the thing is now i need because they've really it's getting harder and harder to get in and not so much for like elite runners but they actually want to make it easier for like anybody to get in so okay. They have changed the guidelines, whereas because, you know, I'd done it before, you'd only have to do 100 miles to get in, whereas now you have to go back and do three again. So, Okay. yeah. yeah. So let's let's look at your, your training for bad water. Um, so obviously I'm interested in what, uh, what an average sort of week was and how it might differ to your normal training. And, and the other thing in line with training is, is that, you know, you, uh, like me, live in Melbourne and, and we don't even yep. get one day of the year that comes near up to what Badwater presents you with. So what was your training like just from a pure sort of load and kilometres point of view? Um, so really, you know, I did, like I had, I probably was at the start of the year. So once I knew I was got in, had got into the race, all my training was geared around bad water. So, you know, it might have been like I had really about seven months to train. So probably got through January, probably started in Feb. I, I used to use a lot of races. So that's probably why I raced so much. So those races would be my long training runs. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, I was doing like probably you know, the other thing I used to think was, you know, if, I wanna, if I'm doing a 200K race, I need to be running 200Ks a week. So... I just, you know, I used to do a midweek long run where my son, he was at primary school. I'd basically drop him at primary school at, you know, 8.30, quarter to nine and would run and be back to pick him up at 3.30. So, <laughs> and the crossing lady would say to me, like, look at me like, what, you're just coming back? Um, yeah, and, you know, I'd just go out and obviously too, bad water being so hilly. So I sort of thought, you know, it's a road race. So I did a lot of my training on the road. I did a lot of training out at um, Mount Donoghue, so going up and down. Okay. 
because even, you know, with the down, that, that actually does beat up your legs. So even just a lot of up, down, up, down, and just really time on feet. Um, I still did, you know, a couple of speed sessions a week. So just sort of to keep my speed up. Um, so, yeah, it was probably more volume and just time on feet. And, yeah, you know, and okay. that, that was around, you know, because I worked full time. So around full time work, my son and, you know, so I'd just get up early and just get it done. Okay. Uh, you're the first person I've ever had in my life that <laughs> said to me they dropped their kids off running. And- <laughs> kept running until pickup time. So um, I'm sure you didn't have too many training partners at that time unless they came in in fits and bursts. The, the, the running joke from my um, the guys I used to run with at the gym was, you know, that I just kept breaking them all. So no, right. one, no one lasted too long. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so what about the heat? Like you must have done something, I presume, to prepare uh, for running in the heat. So the only the only real thing I did was I started doing hot yoga. So and and more to not even just for the heat, just I suppose from you know like it was a really good to add sort of a bit of a strength you know strength sort of stretch session in. And then I just found that heat was just you know doing the classes that were in the high thirties. Um, and the other thing was we would just try and get over to the US sort of, you know, a good two to three weeks before the race right. acclimatise and walk around Vegas where it was, you know, 45, 50 degrees and just try and try and get out into the heat. Yeah, okay. So let's move on to the race itself. So you did it in 2014 where you were the third female and again in 2015 where you won and then again in 2016 where you were third again so if we look at that first race when you're going into such an extreme event that that's so unknown and and so hard to prepare for what goals do you set yourself for a race like this do you do you just want to finish are you just trying to survive as long as you can do you want a placing a time or have you targeted somebody to to stay with and and try and beat like how do you approach this sort of race for the first time probably like probably the first one you know um it was go there survive you know and i and i you know you're also conscious going you know i'm spending all this money like i'm traveling you know halfway around the world and you know you've got expectations from family friends yourself and I go I suppose honestly my main one was just finish like don't make a fool of yourself just at least finish this um I remember when we they have like a pre-race check-in um the day before the race and I actually remember walking into the room and I just wanted to cry and I actually just thought because I just thought what am I doing here like like it was like walking into a bad dream that you just wanted over it was just like I just want this over because I was sort of almost just so scared of the results that I just I just wanted it done and dusted and um you know I probably I would say probably most races I go into you know I didn't go there expecting to win but I sort of thought you know I could be top five maybe you know like I would have probably set myself you know probably going aiming for top five didn't even really have any time expectations but the main thing you know I remember was going just please finish this and you know yeah don't waste all this time energy and money absolutely so it's interesting that you say that you didn't go in with the intention to win so let's go 2015 when you did win like do you or did you change your goals mid-race? Like, I mean, do you even have the mental capacity throughout that race to to think clearly enough to to start thinking, gee, I could win this and I, and I need to change my strategy somewhat to do so? Or did you just keep running? Uh, so, so 2015, probably by then, I'd actually, you know, had a really good year of training and I was going over some... I, I did go to Badwater in 2015, like to really, I wouldn't have said I went there to win. I did go there to have a crack though. And okay. I remember one night sitting with David and, you know, and I suppose he's probably the logistics behind what we do. Whereas I just like, honestly, and I go, I just turn up and run. And sometimes he'll right. say to me, have you got this? Have you got that? And I'm like, Oh no. Have you got a map? No. Like, <laughs> no. So we were going through old times and splits and I said to him, you know what? I said, I'm going to have a crack at the 40 to 45 age group record. Okay. And I think he looked at me and nearly fell off his seat. And I said to him, 
you know what? I need to go in there with a goal. And I yep. said, I, cause Ali Venti, who was a really, really good runner at the time who was running, I said, I can't see myself beating her, but I said, you know what? I reckon I can set myself a goal and let's aim for that record. So you know, we got the times and we got the splits and, you know, even you have a crew there and even that was funny because I sort of picked up this crew that I had never met in my life yeah. and, you know, so we're sort of talking to them and, you know, you don't even know what they're going to be like when you get there because they're people that hadn't even met before. So isn't that, like, I mean, that on its own must mentally... It just throws another challenge, doesn't it? Because most other crewing, certainly your track, yes. you know, your 24, 48-hour track and your Oxfam, like your crew or your, your best your mates friend. or your partners. Oh. Or, um, so that must be just a challenge in itself. So did you not know anybody in your crew? No. Anybody? So because, you know, David and I were travelling over there and you need like sort of, they suggest you have two or three like paces and runners and, and people actually just end up contacting you, people who want to do the race down the track and... So I had um, two guys who sort of came by friends of friends that were keen to do it and then um, a lady whose boyfriend was Australian and she contacted me and said, look, I'll be in the area, happy to help you guys out if you need the help. So they okay. sort of just all came together on the crew and then one of the guys ended up emailing me like a, a week before the race saying, look, I just want to give you the heads up, I've actually got an Achilles injury, I can't run. Right. So I'm thinking, oh, my God, so I've got... Katie who can't run, I've got one other guy and I've got David. So I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is okay. But he said to me, I'm a really strong walker, so happy to walk, but I just can't run. So, you yeah, know, right. and, and I think to having people um, you don't know there, I was so mindful, you know, because you're hurting, you're, you, you know, you, you sometimes not the great headspace and, you know, one of the guys just kept talking and talking and talking to me. And I was at a point like we're climbing up one of the biggest climbs. And I actually just wanted to say, like, just stop talking to me. <laughs> like I, but, you know, I actually thought, no, he's here. Like he's given up his week to come out here for me. I don't even know this guy. So just talk back to him. So, you know, and that just distracted me. And one of the other guys who was running, Charles, you know, he would say to me, right, we're going to run to that next post. And I'd go, oh, God, like, I don't want to. Okay, we'll do, you know. So I felt like I just had to be so nice and just sort of, you know, but I appreciated. Yeah. yeah, I appreciated how much they'd given up someone they didn't even know. And they so just, you know, they, they were, it was like I was their best friend and they so wanted me to win that, um, yeah, it was like I just had to keep going and keep going, even, you know, everything was hurting. Yeah, wow. And so um, what, with the crew, obviously there's, you know, there's your, your nutrition, your motivation and everything, but is there, if you could pick a most critical role, is it actually running with you? Um, you know what? Um, yes, yes and no. Like Katie, who... This this is another funny story. On the very first, so you can't have a pacer until I think it's 70K. So she's okay. like, right, I'm getting out on the first hill and I'm coming. So she's got out the car and we started power hiking up the hill and she goes, I can't keep up. I'm getting back, <laughs> I'm getting back in the car. Right. So, so she ended up, she did not walk one step with me again until oh, the very wow. end. However, she just did the food, did the drink. She would come out and, like, she could tell, like, and actually, like, I go, it actually makes me emotional thinking about, like, at some point, like, I, you know, you're close to crying and you're hurting and you're hot and you're sunburned and she would come out and just give me a hug and go, yeah. you're, doing, you're doing great. Like, she, you know, whereas David and the guys were probably real tough love. Like, they were just like, we don't care, run, go hard, 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 you know, where she just having that, soft like yeah. it's 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 actually okay and would give me a hug and a kiss and go just keep going keep going keep going she yeah, okay. probably was the one that just kept us all together right yeah yeah good yeah. and along that that mental side did you did you pray do you have any um specific coping strategies or did you practice any mental strategies leading into bad water to help you for tough times um, I don't, but I tend to, like, while I'm running, like, I, I listen to my iPod the, from start to finish. So I have music going and, and you know, when it gets tough, I actually, you know, I think about 
you know, like my son wasn't with me. So I was thinking about him at home. I think about like my family, my friends, yep. like, you know, and, you know, the crew were reading out messages, you know, so they were reading out messages from like other runners from, you know, and I was like, you know, they're like, the whole of Australia is behind you. So yeah. you just feel like, you know, I'm, I wasn't just doing it for me. It's like, you know, I can't give in. And, you know, even I remember part of what I kept thinking was I couldn't wait to finish just to ring my son. Yeah, and, right. And when I got into the lead and, you know, Dave's going, you've won this, like, it's good, you've won it. And I still, like, I couldn't believe it, but I just kept saying to myself, just, you have to win now, you have to win, you have to keep running, you have to keep running. And I could, I could, I could just, like, rem- you could see myself picking up the phone to call my son just to tell him. Yeah, so that, right, just, yeah. that just motivated me just to keep going. Yeah, and I think it's interesting um, when we interviewed Donna Urquhart, who you uh, know well and have run with yep. a lot, and, and she says too that, you know, one of the things is to imagine yourself at, at, at the end, you know, and yep. what's going to happen yep. at the end and who you're going to talk to yeah. and who you're going to celebrate with rather than yep. dwelling too much on the on the then and now. But, um, yep. but let's let's again talk a bit about the in-race stuff. Like, like it's said that through certain stages that you've got to run on the painted white lines of the road to stop your shoes from melting. Like, is, is that true? Uh, the year I did it, I think it was about 52 degrees and you, you are sort of running on the edge of the road. I, di- I didn't see any roads melting, but I go, I was, my whole legs were covered in a heat rash, like this red, spotty, like itchy heat rash. I yeah, think just because right. the heat radiating sort of up off the road. Um, but it's a different heat. Like it's a really, really dry heat. You have got your crew with you sort of, you know, every 5Ks, they're stopping, they're spraying you with water, they're hosing you off. Like you you actually covered, like I was covered head to toe in white, you know, headgear and everything. Yep. So, so, and I think the fact that, you know, they spray you down, you're wet and then you do dry quickly. But I, I didn't ever at any point... Like there was a couple of times I was like, you know, I'm hot, but it's such a different heat to what it was like here. Like I know it's hard to imagine like, you know, 52 degrees, but it probably feels like it's like high 30s on a Melbourne's day. Okay, yeah. And did you use, again, I I vaguely remember seeing your husband Dave when he did his lying in, you know, ice esky almost on the side (laughs) of the road. Like did you have, other than being sprayed down, any other strategies for the no, well, no, like I, I didn't lay in any ice baths, but um, he, you know, just things like ice bandanas, like putting ice in your hat. Like the yep. main thing was keeping like your head cold. Um, yeah, so those ice bandanas around your neck, and probably just heat like ice under my hat, and just making sure you know, like I probably kept going on and on to my crew. You've got to have icy cold drinks. So you know, they were crushing up ice just to put in the drinks and even then trying to get ice, you know, like all that, you're out in the middle of the desert. So even yeah. trying to keep, keep ice and keep your drinks cold, even all that's a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And so what did you eat and drink? Um, like you can't just drink water because you can, you know, you can die of hyperatremia. <laughs> but um, so what was your, was there anything in particular you used for, for drink and for food? Not, like, honestly, not really. Like, it was just, you know, a lot of fruit. Like, I had a lot of um, watermelon, bananas, oranges, gels, um, you know, and it was, I was drinking a lot of actually, like, fizzy sort of. And I think because you're so thirsty, it's like, it's more like you just want to keep drinking and drinking and drinking. Um, I was having, like, there was a couple of, like, stops along the way where there was shops that, you know, you might have an icy pole or something. But it wasn't really anything in particular. It was basically just whatever was going down, we just, I just kept having. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and I looked again, I was watching a video uh, last night on one of the bad waters and, and it made me think that, you know, we have a couple of uh, fantastic races in Australia, like, you know, the Great Ocean Road Marathon and even comes to Cozzy and, and the scenery is mm. spectacular, which even, you know, well, the Great Ocean Road's a marathon, well, I say only 42 k's, it will distract you a little bit. But when I was watching... Bad water, it's vast and it's long <laughs> and it's brown. And yeah. was there anything about the environment that took your mind off what you were doing? Um, as, as you come in to, I suppose, you know, to you sort of break the race down. Like we started at night. So 
it's pitch black. So you don't really see anything until the next morning. And even that's pretty cool. Like I go, here you are, here I am running out in the middle of the desert, 11.30 at night in the yeah. dark, it's warm. And, and then you sort of get to like, you know, there's a couple of these like a little old towns out there and even just getting to those, you know, I just kept giving myself, you know, get to there and then, you know, you'll get an ice cream and even just trying to get to the next checkpoint. Um, however, when you come into Lone Pine, which is like the last sort of um, main sort of town before you head up to Mount Whitney, just coming in, you've got just these most amazing like Sierra mountain range on your left and um, there's another mountain range on your right. Like that's sort of pretty cool because you can just see yourself coming down the road into Lone Pine. And I think once I got to there, you know, I remember David at one point saying to me, you've only got a marathon to go. And I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, not another one? You know, yeah. but it's just like one foot, just get there, just get there, just get there. And, um, yeah, and I think when you've got your crew, you're chatting to your crew and, and, and somehow, I don't know, the time just seems, to, just seems to go. Yeah, okay. And if we look at 2015 compared to 2014, and, and we say this a lot to people with even just marathons, you can't really strategize a marathon well until you've run one and you know what you're, you're in for. Did you change much uh, between 2014 and 2015 just through the experience of having done it once? Um, like, it's... I really feel like I was, if anything, I might have, I think I did some more longer races. Like I did 300, I remember doing 300K races in five weeks. Um, so I just kept getting, you know, just kept racing, just kept, kept having that time on my feet. Like I did a 24 hour and, um, you know, I, th I think it comes down to more. I actually went in there with a plan. I had splits I had to, you know, at each, each time station, I had splits I knew I had to meet. I probably did, if anything, a lot more power hiking because there is a lot of okay. hiking in the race. Um, so I just tried to, like, I suppose, make fine-tune, uh, like not so much change my training, but just really fine-tune it. And just I think when you go in there going, right, I have to be hitting these splits... Like it, and it just sort of all came together. And it's one of those races where it actually just felt too easy. And even when I look back, like it was like, you know, when just everything comes together and it was yeah. like, I, I didn't have blisters. I had my, no stomach issues. Um, wow. You know, it, I felt like I was just jogging down the road and my, my legs never hurt. And, um, you know, and I was second for a fair chunk of the race. And um, even you know, I got into first place and then Ellie Venti, who was, you know, she passed me again. And I remember just saying to David, don't worry about it. Like, you know, we'll just wow. keep going. Don't worry about it. You know, and I think just being so relaxed, it just felt so easy. Now, surely there, when you're running 217 kilometres, it's 50 degrees, the heat's coming up, you've got a heat rash, you're, you're, <laughs> you're going up a hill. You must have reached some low point in one of the three bad waters, surely. Like, was there um, ever a point where you thought, oh, my God, I'm really struggling? Probably the last. The, the third one, um, it, was it was actually really tough for me to go back because after winning it, I felt like, well, I, you know, it, it's, it's going to be hard yeah. to win it again. But I felt like I don't have anything to prove. I really, I actually really didn't want to go back. And it was probably David who said to me, you know, you've won it. It's probably nice to go back. Um, and I just had like a really, really crap race that I think at one point we're at the top of, I think, the second climb. And, and I think David said to me, don't worry, you've got 30 hours. You can walk this in. You're not stopping. Because I yeah. had like my, my feet were covered in blisters. And then I had like blisters under blisters. Yeah, and, right. I, and I just got out the car and could hardly walk. And then I remember... You know, I just, something kicked in. I remember they, and actually at one point, I think they actually took my shoes off and just put them in like sandals because I couldn't, I could not walk. God. And I saw all these people passing me and passing me. And, and I think part of it was, I just, you know, because I felt like I'd done what I had to do. I wasn't that like a hundred percent wanted to be there. And then, you know, it was like, it got tough. And I was like, I don't, you know, I don't need to do this. I don't have anything to prove. I don't need to do this. But then, Something sort of kicked in at one point. I think it was when David said, don't worry, you've got, 
like we'd been probably going, you know, 30 hours and he's like, you've got another 30 hours, you can walk it in. And then at some point I just went, you know what, I'm better than that. And, you know, I think I went from like 10th female and ran into third, nearly into second place. So Yeah, God, what were your feet like after the race when you took (laughs) your shoes off? Well, we had um, one of my friends who ended up coming over and crewing for me. He's a nurse and he actually, I remember taking my shoes off and the look on his face and mm-hmm. I said, I, I don't ever want to look at him. But it was basically like the whole bottom was blistered. But then they'd put like those, um, you know, those patches you put over, over your blisters, the compete. Yep. yep. So he put those over and then they'd blistered again underneath those. Oh, God. So it was like, I, honestly, how I even ran. And it was like, they gave me some painkillers and I just thought, I don't want to be out here 30 hours. And, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, but it was more when I looked at his face and, and then him and David like, oh, what are we going to do? And <laughs> I just thought, I actually just thought like, this is it, you know. So Yeah, gosh, it takes mm. a bit of uh, mental yeah. strength to get through that. But mm. if, if we look at it then, or if you look at it and you look at the heat and the as we've mentioned, the, the vast expanses, the terrain, the, the mountains, what what did you find? Was there any of those that you found tougher than anything else? Um, out of the bad water, the race? As, as, no, just as in, was did the heat get you the most? Did the, did the climbing, did the descent, um, did the vastness and the loneliness? Was there anything that stands out as being the toughest? Not really. You know, like, I honestly just, saying to myself oh my god like I'm so lucky like you know thousands of people want to be here like I'm so lucky to be here and I was just trying to embrace it and embrace the heat embrace the crew like and I think when you have such a good race like especially the year I won like I go there was probably no point I even really had a flat point because it was just like I was jogging down the road and um, you know, and I, I mean, I remember getting to the end because the last climb up to Mount Whitney is like 17 k's, literally straight up. And I remember at one point saying to David, like, how far? And he kept saying to me, you've got a couple of k's. And I'm like, I, and then I'd measure on my watch and then I'd go, how far now? And he'd go, a couple of k's. And I just told me a couple of k's. And he just said to me, like, just trying to keep me going, keep me going. And that was probably the only time I was like, I just... I'm done now, I want this over. And I said to him, it kept frustrating me because he kept telling me I had a couple of Ks, whereas I was looking at my watch going, but, I've, you know, I've done another couple of Ks. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting, like I read somewhere, and obviously from listening to you, it's just a drive to be your best that gets you through. But I was reading one participant saying that, bad water was spiritual for him and that he thought it brought him closer to God. And <laughs> I reckon running through a desert of 50 degrees in those mountains is probably closer to running through hell. But uh, <laughs> did, did you get any spiritual or emotional feeling from running and completing it? Uh, look, I, I, the, the, I suppose like for me, the most memorable was the year I won it. And I remember um like the last climb, you know, I've got my crew and I've got, you know, um, there's, there was a film crew out there and then, you know, they're reading out messages from home and I remember, yeah, like just going, because like, you're still in shock going, like even the last climb, I stayed, was like, you, you've just won bad one. I'm like, like I, I was, I couldn't believe it until I got to the finish line. Yeah. But I actually remember saying to him, I'm never, ever going to run again after this. <laughs> And I said to him, like, how can, any, how can anything top this whole experience? I don't have to run again. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and it's, it's just such an amazing, I think just being there, the people, um, you know, your crew just going, you know, these people I don't even know who've just given up so much to be here and, yeah, you know. Yes. So is, yeah. it, is it more a physical or a mental test, do you think? I think if I think if you're, it's obviously both. I mean, you need to go there and have trained, and you need to put the training in. But I think it's your mental will that's gonna, you know, when the going gets tough, is gonna keep you just putting one foot in front of the other and running when you think you can't run anymore, and you know. And I think just believing, you know, believe your training, back yourself in, and if you've done the training, then there's no reason anybody can't finish the race. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and I'm going to 
put my physio hat on now. Um, and again, another part of my reading, I was reading a professor of physiology who studied some um, bad water runners post-race. And it's quite interesting that his statement is that their muscles look like a blender had gone through them and uh, the, process, the repair process took months. So can you sort of explain to us what, what, what were the next two or three days or week like after bad water and and how long did it take you to truly recover um so i remember the next morning waking up and obviously when i won like you're on a high you've hardly slept i think the challenge was actually you know those showers that are in a bath so i think the challenge yeah. was actually trying to get Getting up over yeah. that was a challenge to start with and then you probably wouldn't believe but i think it was not the next day, but the day after that, we actually did a hike to Mount Whitney, which <laughs> right, was, of course. I think um, David made me do it. I think it yeah. was like, you know, it was probably a 35, 40K round trip God. from the from day the, after. Yeah, so it was about 30, not the next day, but the one after that. So we went from the portal up to the very, very top of um, Mount Whitney. So that was about, yeah. 36 hours after the race. Right, okay. And what um, was it? Was it your quads mainly? Um, oh, my feet. I just remember, like, I think that day, you know, when we did the hike, it was probably mainly just my feet. Like, they just, just sore and, um, you know, you're obviously stiff and sore and everything. And, and one of those things, once you get moving, you're okay. But I just remember I had, um, I was wearing hoppers and I think, like, my feet were so swollen that they felt like they were just jammed into these yeah, runners right. yeah. yeah but and then you know i think we were over in america for a few weeks so i just straight away tried a bit of active recovery walking and um probably like i allow myself you know a few weeks of sort of nothing and then i just get back into some gentle walking and running and yeah okay that's sort of about it yeah, and look, that, that's interesting because it fits in, um, you know, the the research tells us now that the active recovery is so important and people can spend so much time on you know, stretching and, and ice bars and all sorts of things. And um, but, but active recovery mm. really is the way to go. And it's interesting after such an extreme event, even when your feet, you know, Possibly shouldn't have been doing that. That walk, but, but but the active recovery was probably the best thing you could have done in many ways. Yeah, and I think just you know, like I I still now believe like if I do a tough run the next day, it might even just be going out for a walk. Yeah. Um. You know, and we did a lot of bike riding, so I think just you know, and I feel like it is just flushing out that lactic acid, and yep. um, it's so important, and I think it's better than sort of doing nothing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, now, it'd be re it'd be remiss not to talk a little bit about your post bad water stuff um, because that's been, you know, just as impressive as the bad water. So you, you sort of have uh, progressed or, or gone into a lot of track and twenty four hours and forty eight hour events and brought yep. your Australian representation across multiple ultra events. Um, how do you find the, I mean, the track events can be individual, but, but certainly in Elby it was team. Like, how, how do you find the team events compared to the, the very slow individual bad water type of events? Uh, I think uh, because running is such an individual sport, that to actually, you know, especially represent your country and run as a team, it's actually nice being out there together, feeling like you're actually part of something encouraging each other, supporting each other. Um, that it is a real buzz, you know, even just travelling and, you know, you have all your lunches and your dinners and everything together. Um, it's nice on the top of something that is such an individual sport. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and let's keep on with the, with the track events, like the 48-hour track events. So you did in one of the Australian track championships 343 kilometres. Now, I worked that out to be 857 and a half <laughs> laps of a 400-metre tra track. And I know that extra half a lap is, is pretty good. There. How, how did you find that? Like 857 and a half laps, that oh, must be tough. It makes me laugh thinking about it. Um, 
Yeah, like once again, I go like you do it twenty four, and then you go okay. Well, I've done a <laughs> few of them. Why? Yeah. Oh, I've got to try forty eight. <laughs> I remember the funniest thing was like you know you set up camp, and my son came, and you know he'd go to bed, get up, go to bed, get up, and he's still running. And and it's actually it's it's funny because on a four hundred meter track, people think oh it must be boring, but there is so much going on because you've got people, you've got other races, yeah. you've got people cheering you on, people come and go and, you know, there's music and, you know, so it's actually like almost a party atmosphere that you, you never get bored out there. And, you know, you've got people talking to you. People, I think, in that sort of race, um, you everyone's very supportive of each other. It's not yeah. like you're, you're racing against each other. Everyone, you know, you walk laps and laps and laps and chat and talk and everyone just wants to bring out the best in each other. So it's actually not a very competitive, like it's more a friendly, supportive environment um where everyone's just wanting everyone to do well so yeah okay and what about um another thing that interests me was your post-race soreness uh, or your, your did your recovery need to be any different did, did running around a track that many times create much of a different difference compared to doing a, a more standard ultra race um like to be honest not really like you know, I suppose because I tend to give myself time, like I'm, I'm never in a hurry to resume training. So I tend to just like a week or two, do like not a lot except a bit of walking. I do remember though, we did have to get in the car straight afterwards and drive home. So yep. like literally finished 48 hours, sit, sat in the back of a car God. and drove all the way back to Melbourne from Canberra. So that probably... Oh God, could you get that, out of the car? Oh, it was. I think we got out at McDonald's a few times and that, <laughs> that was a struggle, but... Do you know the other thing is sleeping? Like I find it takes yeah. a while to get your sleep back and obviously sleep helps, you know, promote recovery and, you know, and like you think you haven't slept. So you've really been up like usually Thursday night before the race, you don't sleep well. And I did not sleep until I think midnight Sunday night. So I'd been awake oh, wow. really all that time. And then it's, and then it's almost like it's hard to sleep. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's probably, I would say that's probably the toughest out of those longer races is just how long you're awake for and then sort of trying to get back into some sort of sleep pattern that it takes me a good week sort of more for my sleep, which, you know, just to get back to normal. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it, because we talk about active recovery, but but we know that if you were going to pick one thing to aid your recovery, it's going to be, or even your performance, it's going to be sleep. And, and it's quite interesting that you look at a lot of sports and people don't sleep before events with nerves and they don't sleep mm. after. Um, so yeah. Yeah, sleep's a really important thing. Hey, um, it just makes me think, have, have you ever uh, tried to calculate how many kilometres running you might do in a year? Look, I do. I do download my stuff to like my Garmin app and yep. stuff. And, What's a good um, year? Oh, I think like last year was ten thousand, and I think ten eighty eleven thousand. Yeah, so okay. it just, you know, like I'm I'm active most days. You know, like I've done like this week. I'm sort of picking up my Ks, but so I've done like a fifty K, two thirty Ks, two tens. Um, so. And even like, you know, an easy day might be just a 5K walk or something. But my, so it does sort of add up, you know, and, and yeah. if you're just sort of doing something every day. Yeah. Have you had injuries along that? Like it's a lot of Ks and obviously it brings up loading and, and stress and tendons. Um, and have, have you had any anything that's really set you back? Nothing. Touch wood. Nothing significant. I do have a lot of trouble with my hammies, which then sort of creates a lot of lower back issues. And yeah. that's probably one of the main reasons I have introduced strength training into my routine. Just, you know, because as well as where I work, we, you know, we have exercise physiologists there and, you know, and, and it's, it's interesting how it all works because you go into the physio and then they suggest, okay, get a strength program. You start training with the exercise physiologist physiologist is like oh, I don't need the physio anymore yeah. so you know and I think just building you know you know people used to runners used to frown about strength work whereas I think now having a strength program you do twice a week even some Pilates classes it is yeah. so important to have that strong core which 
since I've been doing that, I go like back and hammies, no issues at all. I suppose luckily, you know, I might go and do a workout. Working, it helps because I work, you know, within a gym environment. Yeah. So, and two, I go, it doesn't have to be long. Like I think people sometimes think, oh, I've got to be in the gym for an hour. But sometimes like just a half an hour, just some key exercises. It's not like Absolutely. you have to do this whole body workout. But if you're just doing half an hour, a couple of times a week of key, you know, exercise. And for me too, it's obviously legs, um, you know, and the one thing that surprised me is the guy I've been working with, it's actually very, very heavy weights, low reps. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's not like, you know, I'm in the gym for hours. It's actually in and out so quickly that I think, you know, people can fit it in in their lunchtime. Sort absolutely. Of thing, it's, it's not as hard to fit it in like you think it is. Yep. Do you have a couple of... Uh, go-to or favourite exercises or ones that you think have really helped you, like in the gym in terms of strength and legs? To be honest, like to be honest, I actually, I actually, <laughs> hate, I hate strength work, but I go because I know it's, um, you know, help, obviously helping me. But you well, know, let, even, let even me rephrase things, it yep. and say what 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 do you think has got you stronger? What's okay. the best exercise you've done? I, you know, the, I don't know, hey, the one we, like, it's a bridge, you know, a bridge when you're yeah. on your, using, so I find the where I'm using a lot of my body weight with bands okay. and things that I can just do at home, um, yeah, those sort of things I feel, I, and I feel like it's just so isolating on my hammy. Sure. Um, deadlifts, you know, deadlifts yep. with a heavy weight, which I used to be, oh, I actually say, I can't do that, I'm going to, like, hurt something. Yeah. And, Leroy, I train with, goes, yeah, you might, but he goes, but then you might trip down the gutter too when you're running. So. Absolutely, yeah. Yes. Um, so. Good. Um, look, a couple of questions left um, more to sum up, um, and maybe it's bad water with this one, but what's the toughest event you've ever done? Um, toughest? Um, it's, I don't know, like it's funny because I go, there's tough, but I go, I think, if you're prepared, I don't look at them as tough. Like okay. even the 48 hour, you know, like I went, you go, I go there with a strategy. So I feel like, you know, I back myself in, I've done the training. Yes, it's going to be tough, but I feel like I'm so prepared and, you know, it, it's bringing everything together, like the mental strategies and everything, just getting through it. Like, I don't think I've ever gone to a race. You know, everyone has good and bad races. And even yep. to, it's being able to get yourself out of a bad race. Because every race is tough from, you know, a 5K park run that you want to run a PB to, um, you know, whether it's a bad water or a 48 hour, you're, you're going to go through bad patches and tough patches. And I think the best races for me are the ones where I've actually had a really bad patch and then I've somehow talked myself around to get out of that. And sure. that's probably, um, you know, I think what people need to be able to do because no matter what sort of race you're doing, they're all tough. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, what about then do you look back um, uh, on your career to date and do you have a greatest result? Do you have one you're most proud of? Uh, it, it, Winning Badwater, like that to me, um, something, you know, I go just an everyday person is how I see myself. So to, to tr like, train and set my sights, have a goal, execute it and make it happen is something that, like I said, I still, I still you know, brings a smile to my face. Like, I, I can't actually believe I, like, I, I actually did that, you know, yeah. and that's something that I've got to take, you know, that's with me forever. Yeah, okay. And just to, to finish up, and I think it's important um, one to finish up on, uh, and it's very similar to Donna, um, is the the admiration of how you fit everything in. So do you want to just take us through what, a, what an average day and an average week is for you, just in terms of life and, and everything that you've got to fit in? Uh, yeah, so, so I've got a son who's 16, he's in year 10, um, so he's sort of full on footy mad and training. So, okay. so obviously it's working around his training. So say a normal day during the week would be get up, run before work. So 
when I'm working in the office, I tend to get to work by about 8, 8.30. So depending on what's on my program, I'm getting up anywhere between, say, 5, 5.30, run, yep. come home, get ready. He often catches the bus or drops him at school. I then go to work and then come home. He usually has every night some sort of training. So often it's me getting home to take him to training, which is then I'll try and get a run in because, you know, I do try to do double runs. So then trying yes. to get, while he's at training, I might do a run. You know, he trains for an hour and a half, two hours. I'll get a second run in and then come home, dinner, you know, sort of get ready and then it's almost yeah. bed. And, and basically that's our day. Like I work full time. I work every second Saturday as well. So, okay, gosh. Um, you know, when he's got footy on a Sunday, it's, you know, like, Last Sunday, just gone, I actually got up at 4am and was running by 4.30. Yeah, right. So finished by 12. So And, and it's just fitting it in around everything. So I do tend to look at what Dan's schedule is, what his training is, and sort of see where I can plan a run, you know, when he's training. Um, you know, I try and do my strength work during my lunch break at work. I'll, you know, just go yeah, right. and do some sort of break. So I squeeze that in and... Okay, um, yeah. and it's just being organised, you know, making sure dinners are prepared or something quick and easy for dinner, being organised for the next day, having my clothes out, just making sure, you know, that I'm so organised that, you know, I'm not leaving things to the last minute to get ready. Yeah, okay. And what about, um, just quickly, because people may well be interested, um, I know uh, Dave is, uh, runs uh, The Running Man, which is online running programs. Yep. Do you, can you tell us a little bit about that and do you have much to do with that as well? Uh, it's, so it's an online running coaching program. So we do um, coach people from 5K up to, lo you know, long, whatever they sort of basically want to do, I suppose. For me, I, David is the main person who runs all the coaching. I tend to do more. People will come to me and go, I, I want, you know, I, I want to do bad water. Like, what, how do I get there? How do I train? What sort of program do I do? The yep. same as more 24-hour races. So my, the way I sort of, the people who come to me are more going, I want to do a 24-hour race. I want to do a 48-hour race. Sure. Uh, more specific, whereas David obviously tends to cover, like, the whole range from 5K to marathon to ultra marathon. Okay. And do you want to give the website a bit of a plug while we're at it? it yes, it's www.therunningman.com.au. Excellent. Um, and <laughs> last couple, um, what's on the horizon? What's, what's, what's right. left for you? Running wise? Uh, uh, so I've, I do have a 24-hour coming up at the end of July in Canberra. Um, Is that still going to run? Well, they're pretty sure it's going to run. So I think the borders apparently are opening 9th or 10th of July. So the plan is that it still will run. That's at the um, Institute of Sport in Canberra. Yep. Um, and do then you have a goal for that? Like, Do you have to go in with a kilometre goal? Well, you know... I'd like, like nothing big. I feel like I just want to go, so some, something around 200. Sure. Just sort of based on what I've been doing that I haven't really been doing specific training for it. And then get a qualifier for the next world champs, which is next year, okay. uh, which is sort of got to go 200. So I don't want to go in and go, oh, no, I want to run 220. I sort of just want to go in, get a qualifier, then sort of focus on a bit more structured training. Okay. Yep. And then in um, end of September, early October, then plans to do a six-day race in Adelaide. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And so it's still got a bit to do this year, a few <laughs> k's to run. Um, do you do you get any inspiration from any other runners? Have you got any idols? Um, you know what? Like I go, I I just love seeing what everyone's doing on Facebook, and um, you know, I really I love seeing what people are doing i love catching up um you know like donna and i ran with another friend a couple of weeks ago at listerfield and you know those people motivate me even just you know chatting to donna being a mum, and sure. you know you, you draw strength from you know she's like oh you know i'm squeezing in doing this this and this and even that makes me go, oh yeah you know maybe i can squeeze a bit more in and yeah. and you know and i think it's the thing with running and even probably ultra running there's a really good camaraderie and you know everyone gets along well like we even this Sunday we're all meeting up there's a group of us and we're going to run do the old Frankston to Melbourne marathon course just for fun that's the yeah, train back 
So I think it brings so many people together and everyone's so supportive, encouraging, and you don't feel like you're competing against each other. You feel like everyone just generally wants to help you, support you. And, and I sort of, you know, from just from talking and being with other runners, like you learn so much from them. Um, and there's so many, you know, like all the guys on the Australian team and, um, yeah, like the, everyone's just such really good, kind people that you like just sort of sharing space with them and being on a team with them and connecting with them. And that's probably the one thing running has bought me is like so many amazing friendships and connections yeah. with the people in Australia and around the world. Yeah, okay, that, that's fantastic. Um, and I've got one to leave you with. Um, who's the greatest ultra runner, yourself or your husband? <laughs> that's funny um well if you want to go off his his time at badwater and mine i'd have to say mine because i think my the three times i've run it's been quicker than his one time so and do you know what <laughs> i was so hoping you'd say that because that's going to hurt him badly and uh, he'll probably be on the phone to me this afternoon so well done. But look, thank um, you nikki i really appreciate your time like as i said looking through your resume and looking what you, you've done and, and considering that you've done it, you know, with full-time work and mum and the online program, it's like it, you must be so proud. It's really uh, incredible and we're just wrapped to have been able to get you on our podcast. So um, thanks again for your time. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks, Nikki. Okay. Bye. Well, what an amazing athlete. Nikki's list of achievements is really quite unbelievable and the events she's run and won and the distances she has covered just makes you shake your head in admiration. Plus, um, as you heard, she's done it all whilst working full-time, being a mum and running an online business. And if anyone's looking for a good personalised running program, make sure you jump across to the Running Man website and have a look. But for now, that's it from us. We look forward to bringing you another episode soon. And please don't forget to hit the follow button.